This classic Encounters podcast is brought to you by Encounters North. To learn more about our podcast videos and projects and to support our work, please visit EncountersNorth.org. Hi, I'm Richard Nelson for Encounters, the program of observations, experiences, and reflections on the world around us. This is the voice of the Swainson's thrush. It's considered by many people to have the most beautiful song among all North American birds, and without question, this is an iconic sound of summer throughout the vast northern forests of North America. Well, you know, there are several members of the thrush family that are contenders for that best singer title. They're widely recognized, the members of this family, as the continent's greatest virtuosos. Well, the thrushes are a widespread family around many parts of the world. There are about 175 species of them all around, except for the continents of Australia and Antarctica. There are about 15 members of the thrush family here in North America and four kinds of thrushes that are common in the north country of Alaska and Canada. The Swainson's thrush, hermit thrush, gray-cheeked thrush, and varied thrush. And we are lucky because on this midsummer morning, I feel like I've come into a thrush paradise. We've got three kinds of thrushes singing here around us right now. The Swainson's, the hermit, and the varied thrushes. I'll talk about these in a few minutes, but I want to tell you a little bit about where I am. This is a paradise in more ways than one. Right now I'm in the most classic old-growth rainforest you could possibly imagine on the southeast coast of Alaska on Baranoff Island. And all around me, giant ancient trees towering up toward a bright overcast sky up there. Not raining, <laughs> often does around here. Very close by, there's a lake maybe a half mile long, and all around as I look out through the trees, great steep walled forested mountains, and up on the top, green alpine tundra and little patches of remnant snow from the past winter. Beautiful early morning. I'm gonna walk out here to the edge of the forest where our birds are singing most energetically. There's lots of fallen tree trunks and branches everywhere on the forest floor. And here we come out into the brightness at the edge of the woods. There, did you hear that? Bald eagle perched way up in a tall snag. Bald eagle nest up there. There's a big salmonberry thicket here. When you look closely, these salmonberry bushes are knocked over and flattened down on the ground. You see the bottom sides of the leaves, they're kind of white undersides. And now when I look, a lot of the berries have been plucked off these bent and broken bushes. Oh, wait a minute. Here I'm gonna have myself. Mmm. A tasty, bright purple salmonberry, the size of the end of your thumb. Oh, is that delicious. It's no wonder that a grizzly bear, they're called brown bears here in southeast Alaska, has been in here 
eating berries. I'm following its smashed down grass here a little deeper into the thicket. Now, I've been paying very good attention. I don't think the bear is in this area right now, but it could show up again at any time. Actually, I had a brown bear eating berries in my backyard at four o'clock this morning. Sat there on the edge of my bed watching it. I'm just not comfortable down here in the thicket. I'm gonna go back into a more open area. Oh my goodness. Bald eagle flew out and then snapped a branch off the top of a tall spruce tree, grabbed it in both of its talons, and now it's coming straight overhead. We can hear the wings flapping, now soaring, landing over here on the nest. And that clattering sound is the eagle adding that stick to an already huge platform of a nest up there. I'll tell you what, <laughs> we've got just about everything out here this morning. Now, that's another member of the thrush family just there. That's one of the best loved of all North American birds. You probably know that song. It's the robin, a bird that has been celebrated in many ways for a long, long time. There's even a couple of popular songs about the bird. One of them is an old one written in 1926. When the red, red robin comes bob, bob, bobbing along, I'll spare you my own rendition of that one. And there's also a big hit back in 1958, Rockin' Robin. Well, here's an interesting thing about the robin. It was named by early American settlers because this bird looks so much like an English bird, also called the robin. They're actually not related, but the two have a red breast. Everybody, of course, knows the robin. Good-sized bird, dark gray back, bright reddish breast and belly. Kind of a bold, you might even say authoritarian bird. Hops around the yards and gardens, stands tall, cocks its head, stares at the ground suddenly grabs a worm and pulls it out. People think it's listening for prey, but actually research has shown that it's using its keen eyesight. Doesn't find them by sound. Well, the robin is one of the most adaptable birds on the whole continent, not only in the yards and gardens, but also parks and golf courses, lives on farms, and lives in the forests, in the thickets, in the meadows, places like this on the wild coast of Alaska. The robin, of course, thrives in humanized landscapes of one sort or another. In fact, this is a bird that spread and increased as the settlers opened the American forest in the east, as they built towns, as they planted trees out on the formerly treeless prairies. Robins followed them out there. Well, robins mate and raise their young almost everywhere in the United States and Canada, all the way up north to the edge of the tundra in the Arctic. Northern robins, of course, migrate south. They spend the winter in coastal and southern parts of the United States, down into central Mexico. Of course, there are small numbers of robins that brave the winter snows. There's a few up here in southeast Alaska through winter. Well, of course, for northerners all the way across North America, 
The robin is a harbinger of spring, an iconic bird, one of the many reasons why people love this particular bird. For example, when I grew up in Wisconsin, everybody watched for the first robin. Everybody talked about it. I remember it was big news, even among my jaded and hormonally charged high school pals. Sometimes there's a big migratory wave. Boy, do I remember this from kidhood. Wake up on a warm spring dawn and the whole neighborhood, a clamor of robin songs. In the springtime, millions of robins moving north, following the dwindling snow, the thawing ground, the emergence of worms and bugs. Well, robins in a way seem to favor the company of people. And I guess that's another reason why we like these birds so much. They'll often make a nest right there on a low branch in a neighborhood tree or even on buildings, on houses, on the porch ledge, on the windowsill. Most of us as kids, we've peered into the nest of a robin, see those three or four pale blue eggs down there, the color of the robin's egg, of course, enshrined in the American lexicon, robin's egg blue. Well, the first robins to show up in the springtime are the males, and then the females come in a week or so later. The male sings, like we're hearing right now, to claim his territory, also to attract a mate. Robins are usually the first birds that start to sing at dawn, and generally the last ones to sing in the dim light of dusk. They've got a wonderful upbeat song, another reason why it makes us happy. In fact, the robin's song is often written as cheerily cheer up, cheerily cheer up. Well, the female robin, she'll pick a spot and build that nest, or sometimes she'll reclaim an old one. It's a sturdy cup. Most of us have seen them, grass and twigs, reinforced with mud. The robin lays her eggs there, and they'll hatch in about two weeks. Both parents feed their little brood, mostly worms and grubs, and people who study such things have discovered that it's about 35 to 40 meals a day for those little robins. No wonder they grow so fast. In about two weeks, the naked little hatchlings, fully feathered, spot-breasted young they become. After they flutter down from the nest on the ground there, the parents keep feeding them for several more weeks. Now that's an important thing. Those little robins are under the tender care of their parents. It's best if we leave them alone. It's a very dangerous time for little robins. The main predator, house cats kill millions of songbirds including robins every year kindest thing of all for the birds in your neighborhood keep the cat inside at least for the time the birds are here in the summertime and of course robins are also taken by wild predators like hawks jays bobcats down in southern areas robins as well as the other thrushes when there's trouble around a predator maybe you or me they make sharp loud scolding notes. Look carefully when you hear it. You might see something interesting. I was recently up in the Brooks Range in northern Alaska, heard a bunch of birds scolding, and sure enough, there was a black bear making its way through the thicket, and nobody was happy about that at all. Well, robins, because of these problems they have with predators and other dangers, need to raise lots of young, because a lot of them won't survive. So the pair often starts a second nest while they're still feeding the young from the first brood. It's estimated that only about 25% of those little robins are going to live until their first winter, and most adult robins only live for about two years, although the oldest robin on record, just short of 14 years, an ancient, wise, and very careful robin, I take it. Well, most people 
of course, love robins, but not everybody, especially farmers, because robins can do a lot of damage to crops like cherries, grapes, tomatoes. On the other hand, robins also help farmers in major ways. Think of those millions of robins scattered out over the farm country of North America eating huge numbers of insects every day. Insects that can do severe damage to crops. There goes our bald eagle again. Oh, I thought it was going to grab a stick. It tried, but it missed. In an earlier era, rural Americans often shot robins and many other songbirds for the dinner pot. Same, of course, has been true for a long time among Native American people. For example, in interior Alaska, elders in Koyukon Indian villages up just south of the Arctic Circle can remember hunting robins and other songbirds when they were younger, especially when food ran short during spring cold spells. In fact, those songbirds, like robins, may have saved people from starvation. Koyukon elders also know what the robin says when it's singing. Listen to the song. The words to that song in the Koyukon language, Dodo, Silin, Hulkoi, Tsiga, Tilsut, Tilsut, Sithni, Sithni. It means, down there, my brother-in-law slurps up pike guts, so they say, so they say. Well, I've never had an explanation of why it's saying that, but actually, Elder Koyukon people worry and fret about robins because they say, well, they don't talk clearly anymore. They don't even finish what they're saying. Robin songs have changed. How else would we have access to that knowledge were it not for elders who have listened closely to the birds throughout their lifetimes? Scientists might explain it in another way, that bird songs constantly evolve, just in the way that we know human language is always changing. So it is with birds. Now, we've also been hearing right there another close relative of the robin. That bird is called the varied thrush. What a different voice it has, that long, ethereal, ringing note. First one pitch, then another. Also our eagle calling back there. The varied thrushes sing especially very early in the morning. I think they even beat the robins sometimes. And late in the evening, they also like to sing after a rain. A wonderful thing here on the mossy, ancient rainforest coast of southeast Alaska. They're found from here all the way down along the coast to California. That voice drifting through our maze work of giant trees here, it epitomizes, I think, the peace and solitude of this wild northern coast. Varied thrushes also live in the forests of interior Alaska and the far western part of Canada and down as far south as Montana. Varied thrush, similar in size and shape to the robin, gray back and tail, but very different when you look at them from the front. Bright orange belly and throat, dark black band across the breast, and an intricate orange pattern in the wings. These are beautiful birds. To me, they look exotic, like maybe a bird from an old Japanese painting. Its name in the Koyukon language is Deltiza. Roughly translated, that means makes a ringing sound. Perfect name for this bird. Koyukon people say they admire the varied thrush. They like that lovely sound in the forest. And they also like its character. It's a bird they admire. It's a very shy bird. Sometimes, if you're lucky, you'll glimpse a varied thrush on the forest floor. It'll grab bits of litter down there and toss them aside with its beak to find prey underneath. 
Summer diet of the varied thrush is heavy on spiders, insects, other invertebrates, high-protein foods. Why do they do that in the summer? Same with robins, because it's important nutrition for their nestlings. So like the robin and the other thrushes, bugs important in the summertime, and then in the fall and the winter, they eat lots of fruit and berries. Researchers have also learned birds like the varied thrush and the other thrushes eat fruits and berries, carry the seeds in their digestive tract, then they deposit them somewhere else, and this helps to spread the plants around. Beautiful reciprocity, where the bird is spreading and helping to increase the plants that feed it. In fact, red elderberry seeds, the biologists have found, also germinate better after they pass through the innards of a bird. Well, the North Country also has three other kinds of thrushes. They all look almost identical. The hermit thrush, gray-cheeked, and Swainson's thrushes. Light brown on the back, all of them. Grayish chest with dark spots and very slight color differences if you look closely. It's much easier to tell these three birds apart by their songs, although all of them have one thing in common, exquisitely beautiful voices. Anybody who pays close attention to thrush songs is likely to have a favorite. And for many, it's the new voice that has chimed in in the last few minutes. The hermit thrush. Our thrush is calling back here in the forest, and I'm going to see if we can get a little closer to that bird. It's not far off. We've also got his background, a little winter wren singing in here. There's the hermit thrush. Well, that song always has a single introductory note, and it's followed by that whirling flute-like riff we're hearing, and then it'll be repeated. A short song, very sweet, incredibly complex. Each phrase in a hermit thrush's song lasts less than two seconds, but it contains 45 to 100 notes or more and up to 50 changes in pitch. In a fascinating book called The Backyard Bird Song Guide, ornithologist Donald Krudzma explains that each phrase in a hermit thrush's overall song has a drastically different pitch from the phrase he just sang. And if there's another male hermit thrush singing nearby, our thrush also tries to make each phrase as different as possible from the one he just heard from his neighbor. So there are pitch shifts constantly going on in each phrase of the hermit thrush's song, emphasizing the bird's individual distinctiveness. What is he saying? I'm here. Stay out of my territory. Saying that in the most exquisite way you can imagine. So male hermit thrushes singing back and forth, each responding to the other. And the total effect of this chorus, stunningly beautiful. Now, it's interesting when we remember that the fundamental purpose of these songs is it's the way that birds claim an exclusive territory. Singing is a way that they compete. It's a way that they warn others to keep out of their particular area. That's what our bird is doing right now. I've always been struck by how elegant this is, how profound and wise that birds do much of their battling 
with exquisitely rendered songs. Of course, we got to remember too that the other reason for these songs is attracting a mate. So, bird songs in all their beauty have a lot to do with love. And that love part must work because the hermit thrush is a common and widespread bird. They nest clear across the boreal forest of Alaska and Canada, down through the Rocky Mountains as far south as Arizona. They winter these northern birds in forests along the Pacific and Atlantic coast, across the southern United States, down through Mexico, and all the way into Central America. Hermit thrush populations increasing in most areas, and perhaps this is because these birds winter farther north than many other songbirds, so they're less affected by habitat loss, basically cutting down the forests in the tropics. And we've got another thrush that I want to tell you a little bit about, the second of the three nearly identical spot-breasted thrushes. This one is called the gray-cheeked thrush. We're not hearing it where we are right now because it's a far northern bird. In fact, of all the thrushes, this one nests the farthest north, well up onto the tundra of Alaska and northern Canada. Now, the gray-cheeked thrushes make a prodigious migratory flight south through all of Alaska, Canada, down through the United States, then down the entire length of Mexico or across the Gulf of Mexico to the Amazonian rainforest, some as far south as Peru. Imagine this little bird that could perch comfortably on your fingertip making such a flight twice a year. When the gray-cheeked thrushes migrate north in the spring, they must have a lot to celebrate when they get here if the beauty of their song is any measure. Let me just play for you, if I could, a recording that I made a few weeks ago of a gray-cheeked thrush singing way up in northern Alaska. This was recorded when I was camped in the Brooks Range, above the Arctic Circle, beside a huge clearwater lake, surrounded by those rugged, snow-streaked mountains up there. It was hard to find the bird because the voice, as you can hear, so high and thin. The song so fast and whirling that it doesn't carry far. I'm going to step back out of the woods to get closer to my own favorite among all the thrushes. I might get some debate from you hermit thrush fans out there, but for me, among all these thrush virtuosos, the Swainson's thrush, that is, in some ways, I'd have to say one of the loves of my life. It's easy to distinguish the Swainson's thrush's voice from the hermit thrush. The hermit has that single introductory note and the pitch descends, but our Swainson's, it has no introductory note and the pitch spirals upward. This bird is another prodigiously long migrator. It winters all the way down in the Amazon rainforest and even farther south into Argentina, Paraguay, and Peru. I can see our Swainson's thrush now in the top of a young hemlock tree here. During the summertime, these birds nest in the northern forests of Alaska and across all of Canada also through the mountains of the western United States. Now in the springtime, 
Swainson's thrushes start with this beautiful song of theirs before they leave their wintering grounds in the tropics, and they sing during that long northward migration. And then when they get here to their nesting country, they stop singing for about the first week that they're here. They only make a short little kind of a wit note, we're hearing it just now, intermittently with the song. I listen for these notes every spring, just waiting to hear the first one, hoping a thrush is going to pick my yard for its nesting territory. And by golly, every year it happens. It's signaled by this ethereal, fluty, upward whirling song. It sounds like our thrush is singing multiple notes at the same time. This is true, actually. The bird's voice box is an organ called the syrinx, and it has two sides. Both of them can produce sound simultaneously. Also, if you watch the bird's beak, the higher the pitch, the wider it opens. So as this song pours out, you'll see that beak rapidly opening and closing. Watch a bird with your binoculars sometime, and you'll see that. Each Swainson's thrush has its own unique individual variation on the song. I noticed this immediately when I started recording these birds. Some of them are fairly plain and straightforward. And other Swainson's thrushes, brilliant and complex. The best one I've ever recorded, I did with a little tape recorder. It's not a great recording, but listen to this song. So each one distinctive in its song, so they can identify each other as they sing back and forth. Well, I gotta say, I worry about the Swainson's thrush population. It's declining fairly rapidly because of deforestation, both in the tropics where it spends the winter and here in the north where it comes for the summer. I know that huge numbers of Swainson's thrushes and hermit thrushes too are killed in nighttime collisions with buildings and communication towers. They're confused by the lights. And I always wonder every year, is this going to include the one that would sing in my backyard this year? I always think, where's the thrush? And then feel elated when I hear that bird. And when the singing begins, I keep my bedroom window wide open so I can awaken as I did at four o'clock this morning and listen to that sound. Of course, this morning there was also a bear in the backyard. When the singing of the Swainson's thrush wanes as the nesting season ends in later July, I feel like summer is ending much too early and the silence makes me feel lonely. I can honestly say it's a kind of grief that I feel every year, mixed, of course, with gratitude for those weeks I've had to savor this beautiful song every single morning. Also, bird songs are wild. I think they take us somewhere outside the realm of our own human music into a mysterious, magical world that we somehow long to touch. Well, Henry David Thoreau wrote in his journal for a day in 1852, 
The thrush alone declares the immortal wealth and vigor that is the forest. Wherever a man hears it, he is young, and nature is in her spring. Whenever he hears it, it is a new world and a free country, and the gates of heaven are not shut against him. Well, I gotta say, I feel like the gates of heaven are thrown wide open on this summer morning on the coast of Alaska with hermit thrushes and varied thrushes and Swainson's thrushes, all giving us this magnificent chorus of wild voices. For Encounters, I'm Richard Nelson. want to thank you so much for your good company, and thanks to these birds for bringing such beauty and brightness to our summer days. I'll see you next time. Encounters is a production of the Island Institute and KCAW in Sitka, Alaska. This program was written and narrated by Richard Nelson, edited and produced by Lisa Bush, special consulting from Ken Fate, theme music by Outback. Encounters is funded by the National Science Foundation and by the Kenneth Johnson Family Foundation, the North Pacific Research Board, and Robert Osborne, Jerry Tone, Martha Wyckoff, and Sue Cohn. For more information about the show and to hear podcasts, go to EncountersNorth.org.